Hello, Evers and Nevers, and welcome back to SGE with SMG. I'm your host, Gail. And I'm Sam. And today we're going to be discussing the fourth chapter of the book called The Three Witches of Room 66. Okay, so how did the chapter open up, Sam? Well, the chapter starts with Sophie being tied to a spit with an apple shoved in her mouth. Well, like a pig. And she's being paraded through the halls as a punishment by the wolves. Because just a little recap or refresher from last chapter. So it ended with her being dragged back into evil by the wolves. So then, basically, quoting the book, The wolves towed whimpering Sophie past rooms 63, 64, 65 then kicked open room 66 and flung her in. So, um, basically, Sophie's kind of skids on the ground, and then she hears the voice, I told you we'd get her. And so she meets a girl with greasy black hair streaked red, and that's Hester. So the three girls in her room are Hester, Anadil, and Dot. Anadil is an albino, with three rats, and Dot is a smiley brown-haired girl, round as a hot air balloon with chocolate ice pops. She turns everything into chocolate, and it's actually quite a cool power, in my opinion. Anyway, so... But Sophie doesn't know that yet. I guess you could say that's a bit of a spoiler. But, um, right now, Sophie's kind of just wondering how Dot gets all this chocolate. So... So, um, Hester and Anadil are kind of like the bad cops, I guess, and Dot's kind of just happy, and she's like, oh, stop being so mean, while Hester's saying, um, no, actually not Hester, Anadil's saying, how about we just maim her a bit? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you can clearly see the difference between the roommates, and Sophie's not really paying attention, though, throughout this whole exchange. She's just kind of looking around the room, and she realizes it's just burned. And then, but the main thing that she's concerned about is the fact that there isn't a mirror. Which, I it's mean, a first for Sophie, world problem. that's a huge problem. Um, and so they continue talking, and Sophie's just kind of confused, to be honest. And she's trying to, quote-unquote, stay above her their cattiness. I mean, I would say that Sophie is honestly not the most drama-free person in this book so far, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, come on. I don't know. From the first chapter, like, or not first chapter, one of the first chapters, she was, she had packed her perfect pink bags to take with her to the school for good, but now she's in the school for evil without those bags, without a mirror. It's kind of like her nightmare. So, you know, Get it, just night not... mirror. Night. Ha ha ha. Ha, what a pun. Anyway, so Sophie's asking them where the schoolmaster is, and they, they just don't, I mean, they don't tell her, because they really don't know. Well, they say that she can fly, like, on the stimps, but... But the stimps hate villains. But then she hears, but then Sophie's so irritated, she's very worried, and then she hears the most beautiful sound that she's heard in her life. Sugary jingling, so dainty, so delicate, it could only be fairies. And she's so excited because she thinks they're coming for her. Like, like to... To bring her to good. Yeah. And then, 
she's like, oh, they're coming. She's like, oh, um, she's so happy. She's like, oh, I can't tell the pe uh, my roommates, like, that I'm going to be rescued. And so then she hears that the fairies are next door, and they're here. Sophie swelled with joy. New school, new friends, new life. But then the fairies fly past her room. And so she's kind of, like, she's kind of confused. hyperventilating. She's very confused. She's like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And so then she sees the fairies scavenging food from the wolves. And so she's kind of, like... So she realized they're... They're kind of... That they're allies, almost. And she realizes that they're not coming to rescue her. Well, she doesn't. Until she makes eye contact with the little fairy boy... And she basically, and she kind of mouths like, "Oh, please help me!" And the fairy boy acts like he understands, whispers to the wolf into the wolf's ear, and the wolf kicks the door, and Sophie, and basically kicks Sophie in the eye. So she realizes the fairies are not all good. All the fairies are laughing. And then another little thing that Sophie's like, this is kind of weird because she sees wolves are eating turnips with forks. And then the fairies are trying to take the food from the wolves. So, I mean, it's kind of, like, backwards, I guess, in her mind. Because the fairies are the ones laughing at her. So she feels like everyone's kind of evil. I'm not sure. And then... Then Hester asks, so where you're from? Where are you from? And she says, I'm from Gavaldon. I'm out of the woods. And they say, well, that's not possible. No one can be out of the wolves. And so then they're kind of all asking, like, oh, are you from Murmuring Mountains? So this is kind of a cool chap or a cool passage because you're learning all these kingdoms, like Murmuring Mountains, Rainbow Gale, all these other places. Yeah, so you really start to figure out where the story's taking place or the where the magical it's students building of the story. A setting. Building a background. Building setting. a background, yeah. Exactly. So then they sorry we're sniffing in the background, we're both kind of sick. Yes. We have, well, I guess, you know, since it's autumn now, I suppose, with autumn, with the beginning of autumn comes a little bit of illness, unfortunately. But so, autumn yeah. is my favorite season, so I'm very excited for it. Okay, so, sorry, back to the story. So, Hester's like, oh, um, ever's fine, there are happily ever afters, well, we nevers are where we want to go is called Nevermore, paradise for, for evildoers. We'll have infinite power in Nevermore, and all this other stuff. So basically, they're still not believing that Sophie is from outside the woods, and then... And that's when she, Sophie realizes that not everyone's a reader. Reader meaning that they read the books, and everyone else is, like, in the fairy tale world. So... Hester and Dylan Dot, their family is from the fairy tale world, whereas Sophie's a reader because her family's out of the fairy tale world and she grew up reading the books, if that makes sense. So then, um, basically, she sees like a painting next to Hester's books on her nightstand. It's a little clumsy painting of a grotesque witch in front of a house. A house made of gingerbread and candy. And so his Hester picks up the frame and she's like, Oh, mother was naive. An oven, please, stick them on a grill. Avoids complications. To be honest, I don't see how that really makes sense, but... Yeah, how do you... 
not like that I know a lot about this kind of stuff because I don't. I mean, it's just fairy tale, you know. I just don't. I genuinely don't understand why one like wouldn't it be easier just to use the oven? This is terribly gruesome. Not kill the kids at all. We're talking about Hansel and Gretel here. And so, then Sophie's like, "Oh my gosh, they're from, they're from fairy tale families." And so then she looks to Annadale, and so Sophie's favorite storybook, if you remember, it ends with a witch rolling down in a barrel of nails, and then all that remains of her is a bracelet made of little boy's bones. Not, like, kind of confused. How is all that remains? I don't know. It's a fairy tale. But basically, now Annadale had that bracelet on her wrist. So that's her mom. Her mom's the witch that died. And so what about Dot, Sam? Well, Dot's just sitting on her bed, eating her chocolate pops, looking innocent, cute, and kind. But a poster above her bed has a really attractive man dressed in green having his head chopped off. And it says, Wanted, Robin Hood, dead or alive, preferably dead, by order of Sheriff of Nottingham. And Dot sees Sophie's expression and in response states, Daddy promised to let me have first swing. Not so innocent after all. So, Sophie realizes these are like the people that she would read about in the fairy tales. They were the villains. They were bred to kill. So then a little, I guess a little um, foreshadowing of what happens in the next chapter. Like Agatha meeting all the kids from the good school. So like the good fairy tales. But um... So, I think it's really interesting well, because... Well, no, Agatha does meet people this chapter. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, we'll they get kind, to that later. They kind of contrast. But one thing I don't... It might just be that I'm, like, an uncultured person, but I do not know of of a fairy tale that has, um... With the Annadelle's mom. I don't know of a fairy tale with the little boy little bone bracelet. Yeah, Wait, let's actually, look that up. Yeah, let me look Sam that up. Sam will look that up while I continue talking. So then, basically, Sophie's, like, a commotion clamored outside the room, and the girl's head swiveled to the door. And so then, wolves thunder in, grab them by the collars, and hurl them into a stampede of black rope students. So then, they're basically in a mob that's, like, going down to the school for good, for the welcoming. So Sophie's really excited. She's like, oh my gosh, the school for good. Oh, and um. because she she still believes she's good. So then it flashes to Agatha, who's in purity. And so most princesses are bunked in threes, but instead Agatha ended up in her own room because the other two girls, Rena and Millicent, were too scared of her. So this also gives an idea of I guess goodness, because these girls surely they of, should be accepting. Yeah, but instead than... they say she looks so evil. I don't want to die. So I mean, this is kind of showing like it's are they showing good? their true colors. You know, I guess they try. They divide them into good and evil, but, but I, I mean like they're still human. Like they're Sophie. Yes, they just judge based on appearances. So Agatha's in her room by herself. It's all pink. She hates it. It's disgusting. And she's 
looking around, she climbs up on the window ledge and she see well, she sees the blue forest and then she sees this tall thin tower of glinting silver brick and she's really wondering, well, what is that? And then she sees the crooked shadow that kidnapped them. Then she realizes, well, that's where we have to get. That's where Sophie and I need to go in to order to get out escape. of this world. So she real so she realizes she needs to blend in, and by doing and in order to do so, she must put on her uniform. So she puts on her sleeveless pink uniform, and with its lace collar, the carnations lining the sleeves, matching pink high heels, and I just personally, she says. She describes the uniform as showing off parts of her white scrawny body that had never seen light and giving away a rash that spread across her neck whenever she felt anxious, making her sneeze, and the heels were reminded her of stilts. And so I just thought it was an interesting... So, the School for Good and Evil, well, specifically the School for Good, the uniform for girls seems to be centered mainly around showing off one's assets specifically and it's meant for people with well it seems that are very comfortable showing off as much skin as possible for the girls in particular because um if you have the ever never handbook which we do but it basically shows um like what the uniforms look like and they're drawn and so the guys have like their breeches and it's blue you know and like they actually have quite it's relatively practical. And then the girls, on the other hand, have these, like, the little dresses and heels. So I feel like this is a little... It's a very stereotypical princess vibe, but also, I think that, honestly, at the School for Good, I understand a uniform, but surely it would be wiser to do maybe a more conservative uniform, in a funny way? Yeah, because I feel like this... So people feel comfortable. I feel like it's traditional, but not conservative, if that I mean, makes sense. Because, like, they're, like, all the dressy dress, all the pinky yeah, pink. because aren't princesses, you know, at least princesses in fairy tales are kind of modest. I mean, I don't care if, I mean, it. I don't care about modesty in clothing. It's, I think you should wear whatever makes you comfortable. But it's just for Agatha, especially since she doesn't feel comfortable. I feel like they should have other options, you know. Instead of just a dress, maybe they could have pants, a shirt, shorts, you know. And for boys, they could have other clothing options too I mean as the books progress I I think there will be some more like variety, variety. Yes. that would be good well anyway I well back to remember what we said about Annadale we were looking up who her mother was I believe yeah so according to the glorious Google the mother was the white witch and that is from um Narnia if I believe, according to this, at least. Because, I guess because, I mean, the she's albino, I guess. That's true. It says, um, she's commonly referred to as the White Witch in the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, as she is the witch who froze Narnia in the Hundred Years' Winter. So that would make sense. I mean, yes, because, um... Did she have a... Yeah, her little. skin is as white as paper, Natural born sorceress and cunning strategist. She's arrogant and cruel. But does she have the, the little uh, bracelet thing? Does she have the bracelet? I don't remember her rolling. I don't remember her having the bracelet either. And I don't remember so, her rolling down a hill in a barrel of nails. Yeah, me neither. 
So maybe well, that's not maybe true. someone just used artistic license, you know? I mean He could have merged fairy tales like that's her true. and then But we will look more into this and get back to you. It'd be interesting to do an episode about origin you know, character origins and background. That could be a be bonus episode. Might be a bonus episode in the future. Okay, well shall we continue with the chapter discussion? Yeah. So back to Agatha, she's basically in her pinafore, and she sees stairs at the other end of the hall. She's thinking, and she wants to walk, like, confidently, but she can't move because it had taken her a whole life, her whole life, to make a single friend. Okay, she's 12. That's That's true. You really have to, I mean, when you really think about it, they're super young, and they're they're worrying about such mature things. They're weirdly young. I feel that like is their, true. their setting is kind of making them mature because, like, living in fear... I mean, may, it's almost like throwback to the Middle Ages, you know? Because when you were 12, I guess... Well, because girls would be married off when they were, like, 10. And you'd be considered an adult when you were, like, 10, 12, early teens. So, I mean, it's clearly not set in current times. Yeah, I mean, obviously. It's set, it's like dystopian, so it's, it, but it's definitely supposed to be in the past. But it's in its own world. I don't know. I mean, it it could be future, but I think it's just a different, um, It's just a different world. World, different dimension. So then basically, um, Agatha is, she's still in her room because she can't move, and so then she goes back in, she slams the door, so she's basically taking off her shoes because she's, like, she's having a hard time. And, I mean, honestly, wearing six-inch stilettos is honestly not worth it, especially yeah. to school. I mean, that'd just be more... I mean, they have to walk down, like, tons of spiral staircases. I think she's at the top floor. They are, aren't they? Yeah, and, I believe. I mean, surely she'll break a leg, and, you know, that's not really a good way to start your school year off. Okay, so anyway, she's on her bed, she's looking at the ceiling, she sees the mirror, she's like, oh my gosh, not again. So she's, she's trying to turn away, but then she sees a ceiling tile with a smiling cupid slightly dislodged. So she basically puts on her normal black shoes, she climbs up the bed canopy, I do not know how she does that, but somehow she does, and she pulls the tile away, and so there's a vent. So... Like any normal person would do, she climbs into the vent. Because, <laughs> of course. Yes, and so then what happens? Well, then she just kind of crawls through the darkness <laughs> on her hands and knees. And then, of course, the vent gives way. I mean, it doesn't give way. It just drops straight down. So Agatha, like, falls through the ventilation <laughs> system. And which then, must be uncomfortable. And then she gets... To the gallery of good. Well, she falls, she continues falling until she just kind of hits the floor, which is in the gallery of good. So, what is the gallery of good? So, basically, it's, um, it's a room, it's a gallery, and so, there are things on the, there's, like, letters on the wall on a mural that say ever after. So, and then she's, like, looking into these glass cases, and they're, like, museum artifacts in them. Like, Snow White Animal Fluency Exam. 
So it says Snow White, but then next to it, in parentheses, it says Letitia of Maidenvale. So basically, Letitia of Maidenvale went to the School for Good and Evil, where she became, like, Snow White. So after leaving the School for Good and Evil, when she graduated, she became Snow White. And so then she also sees the blue cape of a boy, Red Riding Hood's dorm pillow. So, I mean, it's basically just, like... I feel like it's a fangirl collection, kind of. Mm-hmm. It is, kind of, to be honest. And so then there are taxidermied creatures and all this weird stuff, like the booted master cat, Cinderella's favorite rat, Jack's sold-off cow, stamped with the names of children who weren't good enough to become heroes or sidekicks or servants. So basically, Agatha's seeing how, how sad this world actually is. Like, here's a part where she says, only then did she see the plaque gleaming on the beanstalk, Holden of Rainbow Gale. That wretched plant had once been a boy. I think that's just so inhumane, you know? If you're not yeah. if you're not smart enough to be human, they just turn you into a plant. They're like or, bye. Have and then fun. when you die or in the plants I don't know what the plant is it I don't know what's happening with the plant, like dead or alive or whatever. But then like the animals used to be people and they're dead, and they're just, like, taxidermied in a gallery. Like, no one wants to be like that. So then, so then she's basically just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be this. And then she sees a painting, and she recognized where all the children are. There are children in the painting, and she realizes they're in Gavaldon. So she sees all these places from Gavaldon, like, like the church... And then she comes to the last painting, and it's basically raging children heaved their, heaving their storybooks into a bonfire in the square and watching them burn, and then the forest is in flames. So staring at it, Agatha feels a chill up her spine. So I feel like this is some foreshadowing, definitely. Yeah. Or something going mm-hmm. on. Me too. And so then Agatha, she basically hears voices. And she sees these two teachers, well... She dives behind a giant pumpkin carriage, hitting her head on a plaque. Cinderella's for... pumpkin pit carriage. Yes, not like just that. not just any pumpkin carriage. That was also a child. That was also a child. Don't that worry, was turned into it was a also a child. <laughs> yeah, which is so sad. So and then bad. two teachers enter the museum. One woman in a high neck dress with iridescent green beetle wings, and a young woman in a pointy shouldered purple gown. So, the woman in Chartreuse has a grandmotherly beehive of white hair, beautiful skin, and very calm, just zen brown eyes. But the woman in purple has black hair, amethyst eyes, and bloodless skin stretched over bones like a drum. I love these descriptions. They're just so... They're very vibrant. And they really... They just show the stark contrast between the woman. So, with the beehive of white hair, does that mean, like, Mary Antoinette vibes? Marie Antoinette? Mary Antoinette. I think... Well... I don't know. No. I think it's less... I'm kind of it's imagining It's less curls and more... But I think that's it's like a beehive. That's I know what it's it is. called. I know it's the style, but... Wait, I'm going to look this no, up. No, no, no. Professor Dummy's beehive is... I imagine it wouldn't be as elaborate simply because she has neither the time nor the... It's magic. Hairdress. Yeah, that's true, though. I don't know then. Wait, I'm looking up white beehive hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, they just... It's different. Oh my gosh. It's more 
honestly, it's more kind of Audrey Hepburn Breakfast at Tiffany vibes. Yeah. But a little less with the bangs, I hope. Oh my gosh, this is kind of great. It's, it's quite like, cool, to be honest. I like there's it. There's a picture of a woman with, like, her hair is, I don't know, it looks like a foot tall, but it's swept around. It's, it's, it's kind of like a soft it's, serve it's labeled Epic Beehive. It's quite a look. It's honestly quite cool. But anyway, so the the women are... I love are, that hair. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I just really like that description. Well, anyway, so Clarissa Dovey, who's the one in... Who's the grandmotherly one. With the epic beehive. And the woman in purple, who's Lady Lesso, who's the dean of evil. And they're discussing the schoolmaster and saying, like, he's tampering with the tails. And... Because good keeps winning. Good has been winning, I think, what has it been? For a century or the past 50 years? Because... Or so bizarre. Winning? No, 200 years. Yeah. Winning as in, like, in the fairy tales, if... Say, good always wins. If a good character and an evil villain were fighting, the good always win. Right. And then... Um... Yeah, so then they keep discussing, and... Clarissa, who's Dean Dovey, the Dean of Good... They're discussing the readers, so Sophie and Agatha, and Agatha's listening. And Clarissa says, maybe your new reader will prove you wrong. And Lady Lesso snorts and says, I hear she wears pink. <laughs> so Agatha listens to their footsteps go quiet. She waits till they walks away. Till they walks away. <laughs> till the, until they walk away. And then fairies burst in. To the museum, and she's like, oh, shoot, because if they bust her, then she is dead. I mean, clearly they don't really care about the kids, so it's not like death is that far of a reach. Yeah, to be honest. But quickly back a tiny bit, I forgot to mention the reader prophecy, which Lady Lesso and Clarissa Dovey are discussing. And basically, according to this, the reader prophecy is the balance, it's part of the balance between good and evil, so I guess a good reader and an evil reader. But, um, I don't know, we'll see what kind of roles Agatha and Sophie play in the future, but for now they're just kind of, I mean, according to everyone else, they're just useless. I feel like Agatha isn't cast necessarily as evil. Like, right now, I, I think she's like, misunderstood. I feel like someone's trying to be like, oh, well, Sophie's, I, I don't know, I, I feel like... Just both struggling with their identities. Coming this to a, terms. Is this a motif? It's a, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, wait, but back to the fairies. So Agatha is escaping from the fairies, and she blends into her, with her pink dress classmates. I think it's so interesting that someone ends the chapter with, as, well, as the fairies hover above, hunting furiously for signs of guilt, Agatha slipped into the pink parade, put on a smile, and tried to blend. So, blending, it always just, it's like, cha it's like a chameleon, you know? I feel that at the School for Good and Evil, it's not acceptable to be different from the rest. One must be generic in order to do well. You no, have to be outstandingly generic. You have to be, yeah, and then in the School for Evil, I feel like it's a huge thing to stand out, to be like right. the most powerful, whereas in the School for Good, it's like, Everyone's kind of a jerk. Yeah, to TBH. Be so like, I'm the nicest person in the school for evil. Seems like dot at this point. But I think, in both, they're 
very power hungry. They're very they're more similar than than you like think. they realize. Yeah, I don't Which know. They talk about how like only the purists get into each school. Come on, these people are like. I mean, I guess it's later they're kind of developing into themselves, but right now it doesn't seem like anyone's pure. So yeah, that's basically the end of the chapter. It was a really fun chapter. Yeah, chock full of information and surprising plot twists. I liked when Agatha fell through the ventilation. I thought that was quite fun. <laughs> I felt like that was very... To be honest, I, don't I know. wish that was a thing to do Realistic. Real oh my gosh, what That'd if... That'd be so cool. It'd be cool if our school had, you know, ventilation you could crawl through. In like so sketchy. <laughs> in in the most normal way, I promise. Well, yeah. anyway, this was really fun and I'm Gail. I'm Sam. And this has been SGE with S and G. Bye!